at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Financial President, Financial Advisor Steve Peasley. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Friday, July 14th, 2023. I'm Steve Pease, and I'm here today to help you become a better investor. And I can do that by giving you some data, some information, some perspective, and, you know, maybe help you along your investing life. I do this because I have oh, 50 years plus of experience in investments, so. Hopefully, I'm investing in the stock market even, and hopefully I can help you. I've also many, many years investing in real estate. I had a number of rental properties I sold off a number of years ago, but I'm very familiar with that end of the investment spectrum as well. So, with that said, as today's podcast, uh, on today's podcast, I'm going to blend my comments with your questions. Okay, so you get to drive the direction of the show with the topics that you pick. So you set the table. That makes it you super important to the show. So please give it me a call. I'm ready to tackle your questions. Tackle your questions now. So you've got the call. The Invest Talk phone number never changes. It's always the same. 888-99 chart. 888-992-4278. My focus point, focus point today is a story behind the question, do you make critical investing mistakes? Most people do. So let's talk about some of them. You know, uh, if you're a knowledgeable observer, you can look closely at your choices. And you're going to find some trouble spots in there. You will. I have. Uh, I constantly look at my stuff. And, you know, I, I can see I have what I call drift drift away from my 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 goals my investments are drifting away from what I really set for myself for instance you know I've set for myself I really want to earn income from my investments at this time and not so focused on growth but at times I see myself moseying over to the growth side saying I really like this stock or that stock for various reasons and that's drift away from my goals that I set, and I kind of constantly have to remind myself. So that's what I'm talking about. Some of the mistakes we make. Time permitting, I'm also going to want to talk about PPI, producer price index, inflation numbers. I want to talk about that from the wholesale side, not the retail, not what you and I pay for things, but underneath that. Also, baby boomers. Do you have any idea how much money they have saved? If you look, baby boomers, those people that are baby boomers are my generation, okay? We were, well, we'll talk about that more when we get into that, but I want to talk about that. I want to talk about China's economy. It's struggling, even though they expect 7% GDP growth this month. You might think that that's great. Mm, it's pretty good. 
But, there's a big but, huge but. So we're going to talk about what is the problem with that. If there is a problem with that, what's the problem with going forward? So those are the issues I want to talk about. But then again, you do drive the, 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 the show, not me. Okay? I'm also going to talk about, we got voice bank questions that came in. So we want to always get to those guys. We're, there's a question on the yield curve. And I was studying that this morning. And it made me quite nervous, to be honest. Really nervous, but I was looking at it this morning, and I want to I want to go over that. And this is a perfect time to do so with the question someone has about it, and also Palantir Technologies Inc. Um, I've had questions about this from various people on the show, but this is another one, so we'll get to that one, I'm sure. And since it is Friday, I will share excerpts from the KBP newsletter, the newest one that goes out tomorrow morning. And now we'll be coming up about the halfway mark of the podcast and radio show. So we've got a lot planned, as we normally do, because we want to have all that planned. But, of course, I will take your live calls first, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. The market was mixed today. The Dow was up 114 points. The Nasdaq down 25, and the S&P down 5, so the broader market was a bit on the downside, okay? Uh, For the week, it was a pretty decent week after having several weeks of trading sideways. We had a little uh, uptick this week, breaking through that sideways move. So the question is, is can we maintain the upward momentum? I think everybody is kind of convinced that the Fed is going to raise rates this coming next meeting, which will be, you know, think by first week of August or something like that. So I think that that information is kind of built into the marketplace. We could have a rally from here. I felt that we would have sometime during the summer a, a pullback, nothing major, but I expected a pullback. Um, but the inflation numbers are weaker than people think or thought they would be, investors anyway, so they are not putting any downward pressure on the market at this point. Uh, then, I, as I've been saying all year long, I thought we'd have a rally toward the end of the year. But, you know, though that just so you know, everybody, that's all speculation on my part based on my experience and the market, you know, uh, the market and it's, you know, market tends to do better at the end of the year and the beginning of the year. So I'm using that as a base and saying that's why I think we might have a rally. But that yield curve is making me very, very, very nervous. Just is. Okay, let's go ahead and take our first uh, InvestTalk voicemail call. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Mike and Tracy. You guys have a wonderful program, very intuitive and and learning, and it's just a wonderful program. I'm also a client. I was wondering if you guys can speak a little bit about the annuities, the pros and cons. I know you've done that through the years, and I was just wondering if you guys can uh, touch on that as well. Look forward to hearing your answers. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Okay, there's two basic types of annuities. There's what's called a fixed annuity, and then there's a variable annuity. Um, And the fixed annuity is almost like a CD, okay? It pays you a sixth percentage, a fixed percentage over the life of the annuity. In other words, it may pay 4% a year, 3% a year, 5%, whatever it is, whatever the annuity is, that's what it'll pay you over each year 
over the life of the annuity. The other type of annuity is called a variable, and that invests in the stock market. So that's much different. Usually it's mutual funds that it invests in that you pick. And many times you pick the mutual funds out of a group of mutual funds they offer you. It's not out of the entire universe of mutual funds, but out of the group the annuity picks for you. Remember, annuities are issued by insurance companies. Okay? They're insurance company products. Okay? So take take that into consideration. You know the insurance company is going to make money off of you somehow. So one of the reasons I don't care for the annuities too much is that they're kind of expensive. Okay? And, of course, the insurance company has all kinds of ways to sell it to you. One of the most popular ways these days is they guarantee no losses. As long as you keep the annuity for 10 years and don't do it and don't touch it and everything else, they'll guarantee you won't have any losses. They don't guarantee any gains, but they guarantee no loss. You will never lose your principal. Okay, that sounds like a great deal, huh? Mm, not necessarily. There's very extremely few periods in the life of the market over 10 years where it's been down. It's rare. So they can make that offer with a lot of confidence. And, of course, they make that offer with a lot of costs for you, too. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not keen on annuities, not because they're not, a, uh, you know, they're not a great investment, but I think they're, I think they're poor. I think you know, if you buy an annuity with, you've been buying an index through an annuity, why? You just added a layer of cost. You can buy the index on your, yourself without buying an insurance annuity. So how do they talk you into it? Well, they will also, there's many ways they do it. You just got to be careful, okay? Got to understand what you're paying for. Know your costs. Now, as we head to break, let me tell you about a new video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. And it's free right now on YouTube. The first episode talks about the technology sector and its rapid innovation. We discuss artificial intelligence, which is the biggest thing coming down the pike. We also talk about blockchain, cloud computing, and software as a service. S-A-A-S, software as a service. The Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. You can find out now more about it on YouTube on our YouTube channel. My phone line is open, waiting for your questions, 888-99-CHART. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there 
takes strategy and discipline. And along the way, you're sure to have finance and investment questions. Steve Peasley is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Okay, the focus point looks at the story behind the question, do, do you make critical investing mistakes? And as I told you at the beginning, I've made them. Everybody makes them. It's not, it's not unusual. And we'll, we'll talk about some of them here in just a second. So um, we have to – you know, the most important thing you can do when you're investing for yourself is watching what you're doing. Understand how it works. Know your goals and make sure that your investment stays on track to meet your goals. And it's so easy to get, you know, sidetracked. It's so easy um, because, you know, you might think of a technology that's come down the pike and it's really – Man, very attractive, and I'm, I want to invest a lot of money in that that technology because it's going to be big. Well, you might number one be wrong, but it might not fit your goal. It might not, you know, your investment strategy may not enfold that new technology you're talking about. So that's one of the things. So do you make critical mistakes? And most people, as I said, do. And we'll start with one of the most common. Uh, that a lot of workers uh, that work for companies make, and that has too much of the employer's stock. I've seen this over and over and over and over again. What happens is, is you get restricted stocks, okay, RSUs, um, um, and you end up because you work for them. They so they give you these stocks uh, and options and all kinds of things that all of a sudden you owned lots and lots of company stock, much more than you know 5% sometimes of your overall portfolio, and that is a mistake. No matter how good that company is, that's still a mistake. You don't want your portfolio to be, to be bullied in one direction or another by just one or two or three stocks. You want to have a balance of that, and you can get out of balance really easy by company, your own company's stock, especially if you're really like the company and you think it's doing very well and you want to load up on it because it's doing so well, well, that's not that's not a good thing. Now, the one is you hold too much cash. A lot of people get worried about the market and they get out. And then they have a hard time getting back in, and when they do, they don't get back in with all their money. You know, it's never wise to get out of the market. Stay invested. Doesn't mean you can't sell back and have some cash, but many people have too much cash. Many people don't have enough bonds. Many people uh, don't have a proper asset allocation. Many people don't make enough contributions to their 401k, their IRAs. Those are common, common mistakes. Okay, and you need to avoid them. 888 chart. It is Friday, everybody. Gotta take a quick break. Each time I host the Invest Talk podcast, I have the satisfaction of taking caller questions and then breaking down the often complex dynamics involved. If you've never called, don't hold back. You can leave your Invest Talk questions on the 24 7 anytime listener line at 888 99 Chart. 
888-992-4278. Let's go to Cindy in San Francisco. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I'm just wondering, in this um, environment, would you still hold on to cash? or How much cash would you hold on to, or would you invest your money. Okay, I'm holding on. I would hold on to some cash, yes. Uh, maybe about 10% of your portfolio. So if your portfolio is a million dollars, 100,000, if it's 100,000, 10,000, and uh, be ready to invest that money um, on weakness. I think sometime, I, and I could, you know, I could be wrong, but I think sometime during the summer we're going to have some weakness in the market. And because I'm a possible, I, I'm not arrogant enough to know that I say that I know what the market's going to do. No one knows what the market's going to do, but it would be normal for the market to have some softness softness in the summer. So I'm 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 planning on that by holding some cash on the side, but not a ton, not a lot. Uh, to invest at a better opportunity. So about 10% is where I would suggest. Okay, Cindy? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Okay, we had the PPI number. It was up one-tenth of 1%. They expected it to be up two-tenths of 1%. And last month, it was down three-tenths of 1%, meaning inflation shrank. So we still have a little bit of inflation on the producer price index, more so on the consumer, on our level that we buy things. Um, and, and what I noticed is that import, import prices fell for the fifth time out of the last six months. So import prices are falling, coming into the country. And that might have something to do with the weakness in China. And that's one of the things I want to talk about today. Hopefully we can get to it before we end the show is, you know, weakness in China. Even though their GDP says they grew month over month, year over year, 7%. But I'm having trouble with that number. Okay? So just be aware that inflation has peaked. And if you've been listening to the show, Justin and I were talking about the inflation is going to probably peak this year, and we think it's going to peak, you know, Seven, eight, nine percent. We didn't know where, but somewhere in that range, and then it'll soften. But I also think that it will not go from on a consumer price CPI will not go much below four percent. I think it's going to stay four or five percent. That's where I think it's going to be uh, for a while. I could, you know, it could be driven lower if the Fed does certain things. See, a lot of things. A lot of times, it depends on what the Fed's going to do. Is what inflation is going to do. And they're trying to kill inflation by raising interest rates, and I think they're going to raise interest rates again, and that will put more pressure on downward on inflation. Why? Because it, higher interest rates put pressure of on the economy to stop growing, to, to even shrink. So we'll see. Let's go ahead and play, play another voicemail from the 888-99-CHART number. Hey, Stephen Justin. It's Andrew Kahn from Utah. Just got a question, actually, about the yield curve. Keep hearing you guys talk about it, and it's something I've been kind of keeping an eye on as well. The two years paying more than the 10, why would anybody invest in the 10? Isn't the reason that the 10 is lower than the 2 is because more people are buying that, driving the prices down? So why wouldn't people just invest in the two-year and get a better yield? So 
they can uh, have a better outlook on the future. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. It seems like it wouldn't be inverted for as long as it is because people would just go to the two year and they would get a, get a better yield. You guys could shed some uh, light on, on that issue. I'd, I'd love to hear your answer. Thanks guys. Well, that's a very good observation and you're totally right. It totally makes sense. Why would the two year yield so much more than the 10 year treasury? Two-year treasury yielding so much more than the 10-year, which means the yield curve is inverted, okay? You would think that you would get more from the 10-year. So there has to be pressure on buying the 10-year. Remember, the Federal Reserve does not set these rates. People do. Companies do. Buyers of these bonds do. So why aren't they demanding more more, and more uh, yield from the 10-year and if you give it a thought, uh, number one, some of the, the, the institutions, uh, pension plans, a lot of them, and banks are required to buy to have uh, long-term treasuries in their portfolio for stability. So some of that is because they have to buy it, okay? But more importantly, people think that the short-term end of maybe, this is what I'm it's all speculative, by the way, but many people think that the short-term bond yield that's much higher now will go down and that the 10-year will go up, but not by very much. They think that two-year will go down way faster than the 10-year will go up, and therefore, you won't be, remember, two years, only two years that you get that. 10 years, you get it for 10 years. So there's a group of investors that feel that the 10-year may uh, may outperform the two-year, two years from now, three years from now. So they're buying, they're buying the long-term bond, okay, and they think it's a safer bet. So those are some of the reasons. There's more, but those are the two, two major reasons that I think it's going on. We're going to take a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on InvestTalk Voice Bank anytime. Or if you're listening live right now, streaming or on AM 1220 radio out of Silicon Valley, you can call right now, 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now 
to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. 888-99-CHART. We're going to go talk to Saeed in Fremont. Hi, Saeed. How are you doing? Hi. Uh, this is uh, about uh, many investment companies who are asking their clients to get out of cash. In other words, uh, if you have any bank accounts, you've got a cash, be careful. So why do they say these kind of things? You know, because I, it doesn't make sense to me, but I wanted you to advise listeners. Okay. Are you saying uh, the, the, the banks are advising you to get out of your cash? No, no, the investment companies which are okay. in the uh, business of uh, people helping them uh, in investments, you know. Okay, So yes. those companies are sending out messages like that on email. To get invested right now, like yeah. Yeah, don't, yeah. you know, they're, the experts are often wrong. I don't know if you remember in 2008, they were, well, still going all the way back to 2000 there. Every expert out there was telling you to buy 1999 to buy every dot-com stock that was out there because they thought they were just going to be the next best thing in the world. Buy, 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 buy. And, of course, they crashed terribly because there was not making money. And then 2008, they did the same thing. Uh, remember, they were telling you to buy real estate and buy these uh, real estate-backed uh, uh, investments, uh, uh, CDOs and CMOs, and all these different kinds of investments that were backed by real estate, and real estate crashed a year later. So don't necessarily believe the experts. Why they want you in cash is because they make more money if you invest it rather than sitting in the cash. They, meaning the investment companies, make more money. They can lend your stocks out to sell other stocks short for other people. Don't necessarily listen to the experts. Listen to yourself. Use your common sense, and you make your own decisions. I, you know, I'm I'm quote unquote an expert, and I, you hear me all the time say that I'm not always right. Uh, I think I'm pretty good, but I'm not always right. Because we don't have that much of special knowledge. I'm worried about the yield curve being so inverted that something bad is coming down the road. I just can't. I just don't know when and where it's coming from. And they know that too, these investment banks. They look at the same things I do. They just are ignoring that. They're seeing that the market is an upward trend, and they want you to buy into the trend. And if you buy into the trend, you'll continue the trend by you investing into cash. Watch what the experts do the, with their money, not necessarily what they say. Are they investing all their cash? Is all their cash invested? You'll find that many times they're the ones that are selling to the people they're telling to buy. So that's why just be careful listening to those people. They, their, their bias is to push you into the stock market. That's their job. That's their whole world. 
invest, okay, that may not be your whole world. It's not your job. Your job is to watch out for your money. Let's go to Dan in Arizona who wants to talk about metropolitan life. Hi, Dan. Hi there, uh, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for the call. Good, good. Um, I actually had a question on two stocks, and if you only have um, time for one, um, I'd like for you to look at Dollar General first, Dollar and, then, General. Um, and then MetLife. Yeah, okay, and then Dollar, MetLife. What's uh, Dollar General? Is it DG? Is that um, simple? DG, yeah. In yeah. Okay. yeah, okay, let's look at Dollar General. Operates 19,147 stores located in 47 states and plans to open about 1,000 more. So they're big. Uh, it is a 35, almost a $36 billion company. It's a large cap company. That's very large. They're growing their sales 7 to 20% every quarter for the last four quarters. Before that, it was low single digits growth. So they've, they've really done pretty well in growing their company. Uh, profits are doing pretty well. Uh, they're going to make $10.68 a share this year. That's up from $10.17 last year. But next year, it's only going to be $10.07. And the next year, we already have 2025 estimate of $10.96. It's pretty far out there, so it's hard to know. So next year, they're going to make less money, not more money. And this, because of the growth and the steadiness of the company, the stock is at $163 a share, meaning that its forward PE is around 16, and its current PE is around 16. And that is a fairly... Decent P.E. for the growth rate you're getting on such a large company. Uh, They do have some debt. That worries me a little bit. 52% of the company is owned by funds, which is good. So there's lots of them participating. And the stock has been, uh, hasn't performed that great. Okay. Uh, It fell sharply from $200 a share down to 151 in like um, May, June area, and then now it's back to 163. So it hasn't really performed that great. I mean, it was at 261 uh, way back in, what, uh, three or four years ago before COVID? 261, and now it's at 163. It's worth more than it's trading at, I think, but not a lot. Okay, so I think it's probably worth about $170 to maybe $180 uh, based on its forward-looking earnings uh, two years from down the road. But don't expect a huge return on it. The, the return on equity is very good at 41%. The cash flow is very good. It's a very well-run company. I mean, the cash flow is $14.33 a share. But I just don't think it's worth a lot more than where it is. So I don't know if it's a good investment at this point. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's go to, uh, uh, let's see, let's go to, oh, we don't have a, okay, I got to go here. On Fridays, I generally make time to fit in a quick rundown on the key benchmark numbers. And to save time, it will, you know, this will be a shorter version of the data. The two-year treasury is at 4.76%, 4.76, four and three-quarters percent. That's what the yield is. It was 4.9 last week. Okay, Uh, the 10-year treasury, 10-year treasury is 3.88, 3.88. That means the 10-year pays a lot less than the two-year. Your inverted curve, uh, yield curve, 
And when I look back over the last since about the, what was it, 19, oh, 1980 or so, this is the deepest the yield curve on all the other recessions that followed a, 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 a inverted yield curve. Everyone had a recession following the inverted yield curve, but the yield curve was not nearly as deep as it is today. Now, there's reasons for it, you know, because the Fed pushed interest rates down to zero and the government spent tons and tons and tons of money to get us out of, uh, you know, this COVID recession. And when is that money going to run dry, all that money they poured into the company? When is that money going to be used up or spent or invested? And, you know, some have speculated it will be by sometime toward the end of this year. But is that artificially pushing up the market? And if it's a deep, 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 deep inverted yield curve, how bad does the economy have to be to correct that? And no one knows the answer this time because these are brand new things for us. We've never pushed interest rates down to zero before. So this never happened. We never shut down the government completely, the economy completely before. That's never happened. So we're, we're, we're in different times. Gold, $1,955 an ounce, everybody. It was $1,927 an ounce, so it went up a little bit from last week. Silver, $24.95, and it was $25 in the penny last week. So it went down. Gold went up. Silver went down. Oh, well. Oil, $75.42 a barrel. Okay, uh... What four five four four months ago it was sixty six dollars and eighty three cents a barrel. Uh, a year ago it was eighty nine dollars. You know, a year and a half ago it was sixty six dollars, and now it's seventy five. National average for a gallon of gasoline three fifty six. I'm paying well over five dollars here. Things like five dollars ten cents, five dollars twenty cents a gallon here in Southern California, even though the average is. Four ninety, but I'm in Southern California. You gotta re- try to remember how big California is. Northern California, San Francisco is only halfway up the state. Okay, so Northern California is very different than Southern California, but that's the average. And again, I'm paying five fifteen, five twenty per gallon. You compare that with, let's say, Iowa. They're paying three dollars and thirty three cents a gallon. Man. It's what dollar fifty two dollars cheaper than per gallon. That's ridiculous. The KPP Premium Newsletter was finished today, and it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. And here's a little preview of some of the sections. There's four sections altogether. The market conditions sections is the first section. Is the first one. And I started stated, today's rally extended weekly gains with banks becoming the central focus as the earnings season begins anew. So we're, kind of, we're moving into earnings season. The first report from major banks showed that higher interest rates contributed to increased profits for Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan. It was not all good news, however. Citigroup reported more than 30% decline in profit. For the second quarter, these results came in at a time when the balance sheets for banks are under close scrutiny 
This situation spurred by the collapse of regional banks earlier this year. Are we done with our banking problem? I didn't. I'm, this is off the newsletter. I'm just kind of asking the question. Are we done with our banking problem? And I think we might be. Because the banking problem was nothing but a, a problem of confidence by the consumer. That was what the problem was. So, housing costs, a significant factor in inflation, continue to rise, limiting the impact of the rate increases by the Fed, despite concerns about a potential recession while awaiting China's recovery. The International Energy Agency and OPEC still predict strong oil demand, with OPEC anticipating an even tighter global oil market next year. There's a lot more commentary in that section in the newsletter. So China is a driver of demand for oil. So the question is, is China going to continue to grow? This is off the newsletter again. (laughs) Uh, Is China going to continue to grow? In the stock ideas section of the newsletter, and I gave you an ETF that aims to replicate the investment performance of the CRSP U.S. Total Market Index, which represents nearly all of the tradable U.S. stock market, including large, mid, small, and micro-cap stocks listed on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. So the entire universe, basically, of the stock market, other than those who are so small or so weak can't get listed on the exchanges. Instead of fully replicating the index, the fund achieves diversification by holding a wide range of securities that closely resemble the index in terms of important features such as interest ratings, market capitalization, price-to-earnings ratios, and dividend yield. The fund is a great way to gain exposure to the overall market without having to pick individual stocks. Because some people, it's just very difficult for them to pick stocks, and they don't get proper fair, proper diversification because they don't pick enough, and you know this helps solve that problem. This indexing, okay. We also looked at a commodity index tracking fund, okay. Also, uh, with an objective to mirror the fluctuations and whether positive or negative of the commodity sector. Over the last three years, it has produced returns of just over 23%. It continues to be a great way to gain exposure to some of the top commodity names in the space. But it is important to note that this fund may not be suitable for all investors due to the speculative nature of investing in volatile markets. Of course, we name names and symbols and everything in the newsletter. So I've given you a sample teaser of the latest KPP Premium Newsletter. Subscribers receive the full report via email each Saturday morning. And they also get the Portfolio and Consumer Watch sections. So learn more and subscribe anytime at investtalk.com, everybody. Let's squeeze in a caller question before they have to take a break. 888-99-CHART. Hello. This is a Romero from the Bay Area. I was calling in regards to Palantir, ticker symbol PLTR. I purchased a small position at around the low $14. I'm thinking of adding more, but I just wanted to see what your take is on its long-term growth potential. I see revenues, it's continuing to climb over time. Their debt levels seem to be dropping. Any feedback would greatly be appreciated. Thank you. 
So this is a large cap company, $35 billion in size. Palantir Technology develops software for institutions to protect individual privacy and prevent misuse of information, which is a great sector at this point because you know how often your information gets stolen. So this company works on trying to prevent that. And they have had strong growth. The most recent quarter uh, sales growth, and that was March, was 18%. Before that was 17 Before that was 22 Before that was 26 And, you know, and last year it was in the 30s, low 30% gross rate. And earnings jumped skyrocketing this year to 21 cents a share from 6 Next year, 24 cents a share. It's a $16 stock. The only problem you have is it is pricey. It's, you know, all that growth has been priced into the stock. We're looking at a forward PE of around 70 to 80. Forward PE. And I'm a little disappointed in the return to equity is 6%. It's a great sector, very good company, but return to equity only being 6% for a strong growth company, you would think that they would be higher than that. So, strong company, I don't know if I'd add to it if I were you. This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and we have one goal here to help you achieve financial freedom. So give us a call, 888 99Chart. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call Invest Talk. 88899 chart. Hi, love the show. Was hoping to get your opinion on Whirlpool. W H R. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, Whirlpool, as you know, is a big, big company. 80, well, it's not that big, actually. It's only 8.3 billion, so it's not even. Not even a large cap. It's a large mid-cap company. Manufactures consumer washer, dryers, refrigerators, freezers, dishwashers, and other household appliances. Uh, Everybody's familiar with it. It is a boring company. Do not expect growth. Sales growth, it is shrinking. Sales growth in the last six quarters have gone down. Uh, It pays a 4.6% dividend. It will probably continue to pay the 4.6% dividend. Really strong, strong cash flow at $29.27 a share. It's $153 stock, making $17.81 next year. So that means the PE is below 10, 8, 9 PE. And it deserves a low PE. The five-year range is 4 to 15, so it's kind of in the midpoint of its range. So don't think it's cheap because of that. It's not. This company never, ever will deserve a high P.E. ratio. just won't. has a very good return on equity, but it also has lots of debt because it finances a lot of the things they sell. So there's a lot of debt because of that. Um, I'm, I'm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it. It would not be in my portfolio despite the 4.6%. There's a lot better companies that pay really nice dividends that are stronger and more financially secure than Whirlpool. Okay, China. China's numbers for growth on their GDP will be around 7% year over year. And that's, that's, that's decent, right? Feels pretty strong. Um, but people living in China don't feel that. They feel like they're in a deep recession. Why is that? How do we know? 
Well, we know invest, investment dollars drop from uh, from $100 billion down to $20 billion per year this most recent year. And quarter-over-quarter growth, not year-over-year, year, but quarter-over-quarter growth uh, is less. It's gone down. And exports, exports, which is the lifeblood of China, declined at its fastest rate month-over-month it has ever had, ever had in its entire history. Declined. It declined. Youth unemployment in China is 20%. Youth unemployment. The property sector is getting worse again. Okay, sales of the largest uh, sales uh, of the largest 100 developers are down 28% year over year. Okay, so these are stats that are painful for the average consumer in China. And the first time in decades, uh, private firm investment turned negative. No one's reinvesting in their own companies in China. So consumers are in deep debt and are not spending, and they're worried about the future, and they have to start paying down that debt. So there's really three basic big problems going on. Weak foreign investment into China. Geopolitical tensions with China. U.S. and China, but other political tensions, and internal debt of consumers and local governments in China having to pay some of that debt down for the first time. You can't keep, remember, we've talked about this over the years, you can't just keep building, 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 spending, 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 spending when, when, when there's no need for it. The economy, I mean, they have an artificial growth factor they've been pushing for a number of years. At some point, it's going to catch up with them. That happened in Japan in 1989. Japan was pushing, 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 grow, grow, grow. They looked really strong. Everybody was worried that they're going to own the world. And, but then it all collapsed. Their property values, their real estate collapsed. And they had, you know, they had the, their stock market for the next, what, 30 years never got to the old high. So, you know, I think China's on that same kind of path. Now, how long can they keep this up? I don't know. We'll see. You and I will see. Well, we'll see. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another Investile program. Justin Klein and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. You can get your download anytime at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And please be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. And we have now surpassed 53.9. We're almost at 54 million downloads. Thank you very, very much for that. Independent thinking, shared success, everybody. I want you to have a great and enjoyable weekend. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, 
call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president, and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.